Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Katie, and we're two sisters and borderline obsessed Marvel fans who have been following the Marvel Cinematic Universe closely for years. And now we want to share our MCU discussions with you. We chat about our own predictions and theories, plus some of our favorites from online, and our reactions to all of the Marvel content that's considered MCU canon, including the Disney Plus shows and the movies, as well as the Marvel news you need to know. All right, everyone. We're going to start off this episode simply by saying, if you haven't seen Black Panther Wakanda Forever, let's just take a pause, go watch the movie, and come back. We sometimes forget to give spoiler warnings, but there really needs to be one for this one because there's a lot to talk about, and we're going to dive into it all. So, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, all I can say is wow, but I know Katie has a lot to say, so I'm going to let her start off. I do. I do have a lot to say. And I'm not gonna, I I don't want to give it all away because we're obviously going to get into, you know, the meat of this entire film. But, you know, we had so many concerns going into this film. And I I think for very obvious reasons to where this franchise is, the direction we thought it was going to go. I mean, like, there were a lot of very obvious reasons. And to say this film delivered is like none other. And, you know, we're, like I said, going to get really into the meat of all of it on its own, and I know that, but I have to say, you know, lover for or hater for, I know there was a lot going on with the whole, like, vaccine thing, Letitia Wright just delivered such a performance in this film, and, you know, obviously we knew there was going to be a huge weight put on Shuri now that T'Challa is no longer around, but she genuinely, like... I can't even describe the the performance she put on in this film to really like just you just felt her pain, you felt all her emotions. I mean, I was, you know, Shuri was such a background character I feel like for a while and not in a bad way. She just was, you know, not the main character and actually being able to delve into who she is, I didn't know I needed that until I watched this movie. Yeah, I mean, just the character development within this as well you know even going from movie to movie like like you pointed out we knew that a lot of this was going to have to fall on her shoulders but you know when you were saying that I thought about Shuri from the first movie she's comic relief she's funny she's the meme you know she and Peter were going to be the meme buddies yeah and then just like Peter you know she had a movie that broke her and literally brought her to her lowest point and she had to be remade she lost everything you know and to your point, I mean, Letitia, you know, having the the guilt, you know, she played the guilt really well and the grief, the anger, the revenge. I know we're going to get into the moments that really exemplified all of those pieces, but I mean, she was truly incredible and she just gave quite the performance. It was, it was astounding. I'm not even like, I don't have the words to describe how well she played this role. And like, like I said, I did not think about Shuri that much going into the other films. Like, even when she was in Infinity War, I was like, oh, so cool. But, like, didn't think about it. And this film just brought such a darkness to her character. I'm not sure I knew where this film was going to go in general. I knew there was going to be a big aspect of grief. I mean, obviously. But just to, like, delve into her the way that they did, I... I don't have words for it. But uh, let's get into this. And honestly, let's just start at the beginning, because I feel like you can't not... We start 
and T'Challa's dying. And, you know, I kind of thought, I don't know. I don't know what I thought, but I didn't think that they were going to pretty much play it true to real life. How he kept his illness a secret. He died of an illness, you know, and all of that. I did not think they were going to do it, like, pretty much parallel to what actually happened in real life. They did, and I thought that was a very spectacular way to have done it. And I don't use spectacular in a weird way. I mean, genuinely, it... It brought such a realness to the film of what we've already experienced two years ago. And then, of course, you know, they cap it off with the the moment of silence as the credits roll in with all T'Challa versus our usual Marvel, you know, montage and everything. And it was just, you know, I felt like I was at the funeral. I felt like I was living through that moment. Yeah, this is what I knew. I was not going to make it through this episode without crying. And here we go. It's starting already. I... First of all, I didn't think we were going to see his death. I thought he was going to... I mean, we obviously didn't see it. But, like, I didn't think that they were even going to do that. Like, I thought... I don't know what I thought, but I didn't think that. You know? Like, I thought he was going to... I definitely knew we were going to. Because I, I, I didn't know it was going to start that way. But I definitely knew they had to. Because I felt like it would feel very incomplete if they just were like, T'Challa died. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I knew they were obviously going to address it deeper than that. I guess I just didn't really think about them, like, actually depicting that moment for those characters, the ones that survived. I guess in my head when I was picturing it, it was, he died in battle, and he was away, and they found out that he died in battle, and they brought the body back. That still is a direct ramification, and you're still addressing it, but it wasn't going to be they were there with him trying to save him. And that just, I mean, that ruined me from the beginning, and that was tough. And then, you know, later, when, because I, I don't think they really were explicit about the fact that he was hiding it until the very end, when, not the very end, but when she's talking to Namor, and she said, he hid it until it was no longer, I was no longer able to save him. And I was like, oh my god, they're playing this, to your point, so close to Chad, and obviously Chad, you know, sought help for it and was being medically treated, Right, but, you know he did keep it from those closest to him until it happened. And so that, you know, playing that so close to reality and then opening it that way and the way that it then falls on Shuri, the grief was, I mean, you see how that eats at her for the rest of the movie. It was very emotional. And I'm going to cry a lot during this episode, listeners. I'm going to try to keep it out of your ears, but it's going to happen. And I apologize in advance. But this one, I mean, I cried so much. So, full discretion, some of us are a little bit more emotionally stable, so I will keep us on the stable side, (laughs) as Taylor is not able to. Or some of us are just a little more empathetic, I like to think. (laughs) I, and you know, I will say, I didn't cry during the film. There were moments that very much moved me, and we'll get to the the one scene, and it was towards the end, so I'm not going to bring it up now, obviously. We'll move as well as we can chronologically just to make it easier to cover, of course. But I'll get to the scene that did, you know, I felt a little bit teary-eyed, didn't, like, cry or anything, but but not to say that I wasn't moved. I was moved from the very start. But, yeah, I mean, that was that was a lot. And, I mean, the funeral, of course, like, I thought what was really... It, it was a beautiful funeral, of course. I, I mean, like, it, it just was the white instead of the black. I just... Everything... And, you know, the Wakandans believe in the celebration of life, not... The morning, and obviously they're in a morning period, but they don't see it the way that I think a lot of other cultures do, where it's you're 
sitting in your sadness, you know, they're there. It's almost like a party to be like, this person lived a great life. Let's, let's celebrate what they did do here. But I thought what was also, and I'm going to use the word beautiful probably 17 million times throughout this, this episode, just because the movie was truly beautiful. But what stunned me was the, the almost like opposite of what, you know, everything we're seeing is this amazing celebration. And you could just tell, and you're feeling Shuri's emotions of, I hate this. I'm sad. I'm not, and I honestly, I was thinking of the royal family during this, how, you know, obviously they just had the passing of the queen a few weeks back and, you know, they're not supposed to show emotion when like, that's like, they are not supposed to be doing that. And I kind of got the same vibe that the royal family is sitting there and, you know, they're not supposed to be openly upset, but Shuri can't help that. You know, Shuri's got this complete opposite feeling going on inside of her while everybody's trying to celebrate T'Challa's life. She's mourning the death. And she's trying to accept the death that, you know, no one saw coming. Yeah, that's so true. And I think there was even, and we'll get to the shocking second funeral, but there was a little bit of anger there too. And I think, you know, it was partially directed at herself for not being able to save him. But I think, you know, knowing what we now know about T'Challa and how he handled the illness, I think in some ways she was probably angry at him too. Yeah. For waiting to a point that he could not, that she could not save him, that he could not be saved. Whereas from what she described to Namor, it was not a disease that needed necessarily to be terminal. And so I think, you know, she throughout the film really struggled with the idea of the royal duty versus her feelings. And I think, and not to skip to the end, but I think that's part of the reason why she chooses not to be queen. And she gives the throne to M'Baku which it took me a minute to figure out what was happening, but that's essentially how that, you know, M'Baku is now king of Wakanda. Yeah. And she's the Black Panther because she has chosen not to take the throne, her birthright. Well, technically it wouldn't have been her birthright until the passing of T'Challa, but, you know, now there's a whole other thing. And I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, the succession because there's a little wrinkle in the form of a small boy who, you know, has now a stronger claim even than Shuri does. So there's a lot there. Yeah, and I will definitely, that'll be like a huge talking point to reach. But I'm going to give full transparency as we move along this film. There are things I know my brain blanked out on. Like I actively was watching it and I'm not telling anybody I wasn't, but there are things I think back to now and I'm like, there's like a good chunk of the film that I'm not sure how we got to point A to point B, which might be my only like slight issue with it was that I just felt like, Maybe it came from the runtime. I don't really know, but I felt like so many things at certain times were happening so often that I just was like, what? So like, even now, there are probably 10 minute segments that I'm not going to remember. So bring it up if I don't get there, because I don't know. I like (laughs) certain things just didn't flow all the time, I think. And that was kind of like what got me. No, totally. I think, you know, if we're just going to talk overall, I loved this movie. I thought it was nearly perfect. You know, and then we'll go back into our, you know, kind of scene-by-scene replay. But I just want to say this. Truly a nearly perfect movie. I have two small nitpicky complaints. One, the titles were too low on the screen. Mm. Every time they had the subtitles come up, 
everybody picked up their head in the theater because they were too low down so that if, you know, even in the staggered theater seats, you couldn't see over it. And I'm short. So, you know, I couldn't see over the person ahead of me. But that's my one complaint. My other thing is just like a pacing thing. Like, I think to your point with the runtime, it did get a little slow in parts where I did find myself being almost like pulled out of it a little bit. But then he would have these like, and we'll talk about this later, but he would have these incredible, beautiful scenes that were tied to music. And they were just stunning to the point where I literally got chills and like that would bring me back in but like there were definitely parts where I was like we need to pick this up a little bit like just a little bit and that's those are my only two complaints throughout the entire film no and I actually I have two complaints as well uh, but one of them is that I'm gonna be honest so I, I was obviously watching it but one of the people I went and saw with was our father <laughs> and I will tell you the way you judge a pacing in a movie is of whether our dad falls asleep or not. And he fell asleep during the movie because there were moments that just were slower and they just kind of stayed in that slow area for a little bit and he'd be out. But as soon as to your point, those moments with the music and and that's always how it was done. We'd have those slower moments and then it it would get built up with a, a musical like background and then we'd move into something that would bring us back up to a, a quicker pace. He was up. So that's how I judged that I knew the movie was having these slower moments. Cause I'd look over and I'm like, Oh, he's, he's sleeping. And then, you know, he'd wake up five minutes later. Cause we're like moving into a, a, a different sequence. And I was like, okay. So now like we're back. And so that would be one of my complaints. The other complaint, and this is just, and we'll get to this, of course, in depth is while I loved the end credit scene, I wish it wasn't an end credit scene. And I'm a little upset about the way that that was cut, but we'll get to that further. And that's not like, oh no, it destroyed the movie. No, not at all. Like, it's just like me being an MCU fan that's going to be a little bit nitpicky about our end credit scenes, because that's my complaint every film at this point. And we'll keep it up. But anyway, (laughs) moving back into a kind of our scene by scene, you know, obviously we see this funeral, we see Shuri struggling and her mother trying to really be there and be supportive. But we also see the ramifications of what Wakanda, you know, with them opening their borders. And I loved that. Yeah. Because that was one, something that tied us very clearly to the first Black Panther, which was important to me, you know, continuing that storyline was pivotal to me. But I also thought it was so interesting because like always, what to what do all those other nations do? They try to steal vibranium. Uh, they don't. As soon as Wakanda try to tries to be the bigger person, do the right thing, and open their borders and say we can help, we can we have this technology, we have the means to do all of this. Of course, they start to get taken advantage of, and people try to start stealing vibranium and everything else. And I just was like, hmm. Once again, <laughs> look, you know, this happens time and time again. And I I really enjoyed this sequence. I thought the queen, the way she handled it was, I mean, she also put on such an amazing performance. Like it, it was, once again, so moving. But the way she was handling it, and I just, I thought it, I thought it was great. Yeah, I mean, I have so many things to go off of that because I feel like that's such a meaty part. You know, first of all, I'll just say Angela Bassett, to your point, is just a superstar in this movie. She plays the brokenhearted matriarch so well. And I'm sure we'll get to this, but the way she sacrifices her life for Riri, a girl she never even met, a girl who, or never even met before, you know, a girl who, in some ways, she could blame for having her daughter abducted, you know, being the reason her daughter was abducted and almost losing the last member of her family. She died for her. Like, it just showed 
the class, the nobility, and Njaka brings this up too, you know, your dad was a hypocrite. The the king, T'Chaka, in some ways, he was. He killed his own brother. So it's interesting then to see that the way he describes, and I'm getting on a small tangent here, and I'm sure we'll hit to that scene in a second or later down, but, you know, he says your brother was too noble to be king. But where did he get that nobility? I think we saw in this film that it was from his mother. You know, she is the moral compass and she is the strong. And you see that waver a little bit, you know, when she demotes Okoye and fires her from as general, you see that moral compass waver. But other than that, for the most part, she is strong, steadfast and quite frankly, fantastic. And Angela Bassett just was ridiculous. She was so good. You know, and then going back to your conversation about vibranium, I think it's so interesting, too, that they were not, you know, they didn't shy away from the conversation of, well, what would have happened if the vibranium didn't land in Wakanda, but it landed in America? Like, what what would America have done? And and the fact that Ross, you know, points that out, you know, is so important because that's a very different ending. And when he says, you know what they could be doing with that vibranium? And yet they don't. It's almost a gift, you know, that it landed there with a people who have a sense of responsibility. And even though, you know, they may not share their, you know, vibranium with others, that's because they know that they're the only ones who are going to take care of it in a way that's not going to start World War Three. Yeah. You know, like it was such an interesting conversation. And then my last point going off of what you just said, because, again, it was so meaty, was the idea of, you know, continuing storylines from the first Black Panther One storyline that I didn't really think about that Ryan Coogler was so smart about continuing was the complete destruction of the heart-shaped herb and using that as the reason that T'Challa died and, you know, the fact that there was no Black Panther until Shuri was able to recreate it. Like, the fact that he was able to use that to write around Chadwick's passing but also continue a storyline, I loved the fact that we didn't just, you know, glaze over the fact that there really weren't any. There should not have been any heart-shaped herb left. There should be no Black Panther. And I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. And I loved the fact that, you know, we didn't drop that storyline, but then also enhanced it because of some of the unfortunate off-screen circumstances. Yeah, I mean, so you hit like a lot in the span there. (laughs) I know, sorry. Your thought like brought up so much for me. Yeah, we just, hold on. We got, we like skipped 17 things and went four ahead and five backwards. So as far as the vibranium conversation, to your point, I mean, I thought it was an it was an interesting thing to have picked up, especially because, you know, we talked about it a little bit in the predictions. We, we brought up, we're like, you know, last we saw, they opened their borders. And then what? You know, then Thanos came. And so, like, to us, it was 2018. But, like, to them, that was, like, what, six, seven years ago? Like, this happened before, you know, the snap, the blip, all of this. And so... It's been a while. We really, and and I said that in the predictions, it's been a while since we've been in Wakanda. There is a lot that changed, you know, and the, I will say like one thing I felt that I wish we would have touched on just a wee bit more was the, the snap and blip effect in Wakanda. You know, it was obviously mentioned. I know they name dropped Thanos, but I, I did feel like I wanted a little bit more of that conversation because, you know, T'Challa was snapped. Well, and not just that, but, you know, a large portion of that battle, Thanos was physically in Wakanda. Like, mm-hmm. there are very few places on Earth that can say, like, the battle against Thanos happened here. You have upstate New York 
and Wakanda and like Scotland or wherever Wanda was. Like, there's like three spots. Well, but and Thanos wasn't actually there. That was his. Oh, that's true. Well, and then I guess too, like New York City when his kids came to get strange. Yeah, but like I don't know. I just I. That was the one other thing that I was like, so you mentioned it, but I kind of feel like we need a little bit more from that. But they did a great job to what you were saying, even bringing in the heart-shaped herb from the first Black Panther. The continuity between those two movies was perfect, which was a big concern. I just wish we would have brought in a little bit of like, you know, Infinity War did happen. T'Challa was a part of that. Same with Endgame. I mean, not the same degree. Obviously, to your point, though, literally like Infinity War, the battle happened in Wakanda. But, like, I feel like that was a little bit of a continuity thing for me that I was like, can we just, like, mention this? Like, can this be brought in a little bit more than just, like, a offhand comment? I, that was the only other thing. Well, but- I, really quick, and I know you're on a roll, but I just want to ask, the one thing that I couldn't figure out was how long T'Challa had been back before he died. Yeah. Because they never clarified that. So how long exactly after the... We know it's one year after T'Challa, T'Challa died. Yeah. But how long is that period where he was back? Because... Well, that's what I mean. That was a little bit of my problem, too. And then obviously, you know, you kind of bring up the ending a little bit with the, with what we find out to be his son. And I also was like, okay, his son's like seven or eight. Maybe nine at most. So I was like, now I'm getting even... And he obviously had some sort of a relationship with him, as Nakia said. And we'll get further into this, I know. But um, while we're here, I do... And we're talking about timeline-wise. I was just like, okay, but he was snapped. Like, if he wasn't snapped, I would kind of feel differently. But we obviously knew he was. That's five years right there. So I guess, like, that's why I was a little upset that we didn't bring a little bit more of Infinity War in and Endgame. Just because I was like, there are obvious effects there as well that I feel like we needed. But to your point, the heart-shaped herb, I totally forgot about that. Not gonna lie. Totally didn't even think about it. So then I was like, oh, wow, you're right. There's no Black Panther. Yeah. And there's not going to be unless, obviously, what we see the rest of the movie play out, Shuri's able to synthetically recreate the Black, or not the Black Panther. Well, I guess, sort of, long run, but the heart-shaped herb. And so, you know, moving away from, like, the vibranium talk, or I guess... Moving away from the Wakandan area of Vibranium talk, the Vibranium brings us to our interaction with the Atlanteans, the first interaction with them. So obviously we see like they're trying to find Vibranium, I guess Americans, I guess, um, are trying to find Vibranium, total American thing to do. And then here come the Atlanteans. They're cool. But scary. Like, I, I, when they started doing the siren singing and, like, just killed all those people by, like, drowning them, I literally was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that happened. That was very intense. I was like, they literally don't even need to lift a spear. Yeah. Like, that was crazy. They literally just drowned, like, 90% of that boat. So I thought that was insane. And they were, like, they said later in the film, they were Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. Like, highly trained, highly skilled soldiers. Yeah. Not that, you know, you know, all of our soldiers go through training, but, like, these were, like, the top of the top. Yeah. You know, these are the upper echelon, and they had no mental defense against this siren song. They just walked right to their deaths. It was kind of, like, it was obviously eerie, but it was kind of cool, because you're seeing this completely other aspect. And so I want to get into the Atlanteans as a whole. I want to discuss them, because... They're really awesome. I mean, obviously, we visit their their home when Shuri goes with Namor, and, like, we get to see all of this and see their culture and just, you know, 
obviously, like, I was sitting there the whole movie, and I was like, yeah, they make, this makes sense that, like, they want to partner with the Wakandans for, let me say, the wrong reasons, but I could see why. I mean, they're doing, they were doing the same thing the Wakandans did until T'Challa sat there and opened the Wakandans' border, and just as much exposed the Atlanteans, even if they didn't know they existed, as they exposed the Wakandans to, you know... Not all Western civilization, because I know, like, Russia definitely had a hand. <laughs> like, you can't even tell me Russia wasn't in that conversation. But, like, mostly Western nations that have kind of, you know, the background they do in, in imperialism and everything else that they do in the history and we're trying to avoid. But, like, obviously, we see all of that. So, like, I thought it was so interesting because we talked so much about why is the conflict coming up. And I thought what I... I, or I think what I really loved was that it still did tie to T'Challa because T'Challa and Namor have such an interesting dynamic in the comics and can at times be buddies for lack of terms. And I say maybe more like colleagues, like can work together, can figure it out, but also just as much can have that, you know, antithesis sort of relationship to one another. And I really liked that the conflict still stemmed from something T'Challa decided to do while he was king. And, you know, just seeing the Atlanteans and Namor and all of that, I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was amazing. And I think, you know, it didn't really hit me. Like, I, I got it. You know, the idea of the Atlanteans being the mirror. I'm now doing the hand motion of the Atlanteans. But, like, the idea of the Atlanteans being really the, the underwater mirror of the Wakandans. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of got that in the trailers a little bit. And then even in the marketing, you see he's always flipped upside down. Mm -hmm. You have Shuri facing up and Namor facing down and, and all the Wakandans with her. And... It's interesting because it's it's subliminally working on you, you know, you're you're picking up these visual cues and then you watch the movie and you're like, "Oh, it's like like really like they are parallel countries." And yeah. so the decision that to your point, the one makes unknowingly affects the other. And I thought that was great. And I think too like it makes Namor like, you know, the actor who plays him has been saying, I'm not the villain, I'm not the villain. And I think that's very true. You know, I think like, you know, Eric, Killmonger, Nunjaka, whatever you want to, you know, call him, he is sympathetic because you're like, he just wants to protect his people from a decision that someone else made that unknowingly, you know, threatened an entire underwater society. Yeah, and it had ramifications to his people who he is sworn to protect. Right. And then you add in his childhood trauma, you know, against the surface people and what those people showed him that they were, you know, he saw some of the worst of humanity, you know, with the conquistadors in, I think, Mexico, somewhere in there. And so he saw some of the worst of humanity in that moment. And I'm not surprised then that he's traumatized by the surface people and thinks that they're all barbarians because when you see them at their absolute worst, what else are you going to expect, right? And so, you know, it's those combinations, whereas, like, Eric is trying to, you know, get retribution for the black slave trade and all of those things. Namor sees, you know, what happened to the indigenous people in Latin America, which is, you know, they're similar paths in a lot of ways. And so that's so interesting. And I, throughout the film, I just kept thinking about how he was so similar to him, both yeah. in kind of their motivation, the way they go, you know, all that, which is a good and a bad thing, because sometimes it felt like Shuri was just fighting the same not the same, but a very similar villain that her brother did, except they're not family in this case. Right. And I mean, I actually really, I, I really agree with that last point. 
but I liked it for that reason. And so kind of zooming out a little bit, because I think this is the point where we get to the hard part of going scene by scene, because things start to connect so intricately with other things. I felt that way, yes, especially at the death of her mother, because what was the reason? I mean, obviously, for more traditional standards, the reason T'Challa obviously becomes Black Panther, becomes king, is because of the death of his father in Civil War, and then obviously that that goes right into Black Panther. So that was another thing for me. I was like, so she lost now her mother. I mean, unlike T'Challa, she literally has nobody left. Like, her family is gone, um, which I thought was also interesting because we see the queen make that comment when Shuri is, well, she thinks taken, that she's lost her entire family. And there's no one left. And I think that was so interesting because give it 15, 20 minutes. And now Shuri genuinely now buries her mother. And and she is alone. So I did feel the similarities. I felt like we were almost getting a retold story. But I think it worked for the case of it needed to push Shuri. Because, and I and we have to get into this now. One of the things that jaw-dropped moment for me was when she had taken the Arab and she saw Killmonger. And now, first off, y'all know, I'm a freaking Killmonger lover. And not in the way of, like, I thought he was right, but (laughs) you know me and my, like, anti-hero stance and how I happen to adore all of them. But I I felt for him, and I truly, really like Killmonger as a character. I also really like Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. So that might be a big aspect of it for me as well. I think he played the character so well. But... I, obviously we knew she wasn't going to see her brother. They were not going to be able to do that, unfortunately, due to circumstance. There was one moment where I thought, are they going to do this? And I didn't think they would, but then I was like, I don't know, because this it seemed like such a perfect opportunity, but I was like, there's no way they will touch that with a 10-foot pole, so I couldn't figure out what family member she was going to see. And then for her to see him, I was shook. I considered her, her father considering that's who T'Challa saw. But then I really thought about this, right? And like, other than T'Challa, because obviously he kind of took the herb twice. So it was kind of like, so when he went and took it the first time, he obviously saw his father. When he took it the second time, he saw his father again, which makes sense. That was the reigning person. And Killmonger, who still had the herb inside of him, had not yet died. So technically... I, like, could see why it makes sense that she also saw him as far as, like, the order in which things sort of happened because there was just because it was kind of weird how all of that went but I and you know I we talked about this you know even when we were talking about who would have been the next Black Panther if they hadn't killed Killmonger I was adamant that I would have been totally all right with them bringing him back for like a character arc into becoming a better person and to changing how he like viewed the world and I could see him being a very good king for that reason and I mean obviously he had it in his blood like he was just as much in line and could have been just as much in line as T'Challa which is why he could you know what what he did in the first movie challenge him and everything but I didn't even like I for so long thought I'd see Michael B. Jordan in the movie and then for so long kind of went against that thought I guess for lack of better words I just was like nah there's no way and then when they freaking turned around and it was Eric I was like oh <gasps> Beautiful. Beautiful. And the reason I say this, too, is because Eric's pain comes from losing everything. He grew up in a world that he felt didn't love him. He lost his father at a young age. I mean, he found out this country 
existed and knew it existed and he could have been royalty and instead he had nothing and Shuri was at a point where she also felt she had nothing because she didn't want the throne she didn't care about the throne she didn't want that world she just wanted her family and she lost all of that and you could tell even when she was grieving T'Challa that there was a darkness growing inside of her because she lost her brother and so it did make sense when he sat there and said to her, you know, do you want to be noble like him? Or do you pretty much want to get your revenge? Do you want to fight back? Do you want to be like me more? Because that's what's going to make you feel better. You're not going to be able to handle this as if your your brother would have. You are not like your brother. You're like me. And I was like, wow. Like, I genuinely was like, holy crap. Yeah. I mean, that was a very powerful moment. Like, I think we talk about this a lot, you know, in a lot of these movies, you have that moment, or even with a hero and a villain, you have that moment where they're at a crossroads, and they can make the choice to be the hero, or they can make the choice to be the villain. And we all know what T'Challa chose. He's noble beyond all get out. Like, you know, to Eric's point, he chooses to spare the life of Zemo, you know, who killed his father and destroyed the Avengers. Not that he super cared about that, but like, you know, killed his father, blew up his dad at the freaking UN. Like, so that's the T'Challa route, the hero route. And then you can go the Eric route, which is the route that says, you know what? You hurt me and I'm going to get mine now. Make you pay. Yeah. And it was interesting that Shuri kind of, you know, took that lean. But at the same time, she knew she was wrong because she wouldn't tell Nakia who she saw. Yeah. Because she knew if she told her that that would indicate where mentally she is and that Nakia would try to talk her down from it. Like she was anyway, but she knew that seeing Eric was wrong. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. And I, But I thought it was very fitting. And like I said at the very beginning, this film turned out to be a character dive into Shuri. And I love that because it's like any random side character that kind of was just there. And then suddenly you just like, they became everything and you had to learn everything about them. And I was like, yes, this is, this is what I want. I mean, I think even to like, and I'm going to use Wanda as an example. I think you consider her a side character for a lot of the films she was first in. I mean, Civil War, obviously Age of Ultron, she was like villain turned Avenger, but still like, she's not the main gist. And then we get into things like WandaVision. And now we finally deep dive into who she is and figure her out. And that's what this felt like, you know? And so I I loved that. And then I have to tell you, that was probably my favorite part. But the thing that, like, I sat up on my seat and just was like, I don't even know, quaking maybe. I was just like, oh my God, was when she showed up in the Black Panther suit and had the gold and the, the silver representing both her brother and Killmonger, I was like, I can't even tell you, like, the feelings inside of me as I was seeing this, because I was like, first off, beautiful. The suit was beautiful. But also, I was like, it so weirdly makes perfect sense, because I think she just as much was shaped by what Killmonger did and said to her also in that moment, just as she was shaped by what her brother always did. And I think she had both of those battling things inside of her, and she accepted it. And I actually really like that. She accepted the darkness that represented Killmonger, and she accepted the nobleness of her brother. Yeah, I actually did not catch... I, I could see the gold. I didn't really think about the silver accents and what that symbolized. I love that. That is so interesting to like think about, and how she was shaped by both her cousin and her brother 
and their actions and their battle against one another. Because I think, too, back to, you know, the original Black Panther, let's say for argument's sake, that was seven years ago. She was pretty much like a kid, right? Like she was like traumatized, really. I mean, he, Killmonger, comes at her. He nearly kills her, if I'm remembering correctly. Yep. Like, you know, as a probably 15 or 16 year old girl, that's traumatizing. But then to take that, that memory and have him be the one who, who guides her in her, her first mission as Black Panther and use that as fuel and use him almost as an excuse to do what she wants to do versus follow the, the, the light of her brother, which she knows is the right path. That's really smart. That's really smart. But I also think there was an aspect to it that both were cons- could be a right path because I think we saw what that outcome was. She took the want for retribution, which would have been Killmonger's way to go, and she drove her mission that way, but she ended it like her brother would have. So I think, once again, you see how these two men shaped her in a way that, I mean, obviously you expected it her for her brother. I mean, it's her brother. She grew up with him. I mean, they they spent all that time together. But seeing how Killmonger also impacted her and shaped how she thinks and how she became that perfect mix of both of these great men. Because at the end of the day, Killmonger very much was still a powerful leader. You know, he still had some very redeeming aspects to him. He just wanted revenge and he let that drive him too far. And it's almost like she learned that lesson and was able to bring in T'Challa and how he thought to make sure she didn't end up still like how Killmonger did. She still spared Namor at the end and she still made a deal with him to keep their people separate and, you know, everybody okay. I mean, they didn't go to war and everything else. So I just thought that was like probably the best part of the movie for me to see that symbolism and just to see how she became both of these extremely powerful and smart men that impacted her so much in her life. Yeah. I think the next thing I want to talk about is that relationship between Shuri and Namor. We dove into the Atlanteans, but I want to talk about their leader. And I want to talk about specifically his relationship to Shuri because I thought that was very interesting. You know, he is so kind to her at the beginning, you know, and he not wrongly believes that they have a lot in common, you know, as nations. And it's true. And so I don't think, you know, other than his end goal, I don't think that his idea of an alliance is completely out of left field. In fact, it's quite reasonable. Obviously, again, like the idea of burning the service world, maybe not so great, but like other than that, totally solid. I also want to get your thoughts on this. Like, was there a little bit of like a vibe between those two? Because I thought I was picking up on that. And then I was like, but is that okay? Like, is that, am I supposed to be picking up on this or am I just being sensitive? Um, no, I'm not gonna lie. There was a, some sort of a vibe. I don't really like know how to put words to that one, but I did for a second, like, he asked something about like, will you do it with me? Or something like the way he said it. And my thought was, well, now wait a second. He is like a king of a nation and she's like a princess of Wakanda. So I was like, wait a second. Not necessarily feeling the vibe of like, yeah, they like each other, but it was more of like a, you know, so many nations, especially in the past, married off their like kin to like create alliances. So I was like, is this like where this is going to (laughs) go? I was like, this is kind of weird. So I I don't know. There was a weird vibe going on. But to your point, he was so kind to her. And I think You know, I had a lot of respect for her also in that moment where she used her title, which I think Shuri avoids doing a lot, to pretty much convince the Atlanteans, you know, let me talk to your king. Let me go to your nation. Let me, like, 
we can figure this out. And I had a lot of respect, and then obviously Namor was like, let's burn the entire world above, and you can rule up there, and I can stay down here, and we'll be safe, because there will be no one left to try to, like, come after us. And I was like, hmm, that feels a little extreme, (laughs) and I feel like maybe there's another way to have handled it. Though I do understand, and we kind of talked about it a little earlier, I understand his pain. I mean, her brother made a choice that unknowingly really impacted a massive nation and you know was putting his people at risk to his to namor's point he is king of those people what he was doing was to protect his people so while it was really extreme he was doing it for a good reason but honestly they're terrifying like they ran all over wakanda like no other i was terrified not gonna lie i was like wow yeah i mean they completely outmatched them and i've I'm going to come back to that point in a second, but one thing I do want to say, like, one of the moments that truly gave me, like, chills in the film was when she's touring, like, he's giving her that, like, tour of Talokan, and, you know, they're playing the music. Like, that was one of those moments where I was like, Ryan Coogler makes beautiful films. Yeah. Like, oh my, there were just a few where it was that one, and then there was another one where they were moving when they were evacuating the city, and they had the music, and they were showing the plane, or the, you know, the, yeah, I guess there were planes, you know, lifting up the supplies and the people. Like, those shots were just, I was like, I don't know if I've ever seen anything more beautifully shot than this. Like, beautiful movie. But going back to kind of the conflict between the two, like, Let's not forget when Shuri spared Namor's life, yes, she spared him and she would have killed him. She could have killed him. That was obvious. Yeah. But that's where she decided not to be Killmonger and be her brother. Right. Right. But at the same time, it almost would have been like the scales would have been even because everyone else that she loved, Nakia, Okoye, Mbaku, Aneka, they all would have died yeah. because they were all at the very edge of that ship on the end of an Atlantean spear. So it would have been like, yes, I got my retribution, but I lost everyone else I love in the meantime. So I thought that was interesting as well. Like, you know, you can choose to, you know, finish this journey of retribution you're on, or you can spare the people you love, your choice. Yeah. And I thought it was great because, I mean, seeing her as Black Panther was awesome. Yeah. But I also like because Shuri's a genius, and I, and obviously we know that with all the text she builds and everything else, but like, she has a different form of battle wits than her brother because she can read a situation much differently. And you saw, and I'm not saying T'Challa obviously was not smart because he obviously was, but she saw even how to like defeat him, which I was like, I mean, yeah, get him off the water. But I didn't even think about the fact that I was like, he's also using the water to like, accelerate his strength and i didn't even think about like drying him out and all that i was like yep see that's why she's the genius and i'm not because i would not have thought of that so like just seeing her how she handled that battle got him to the desert and all of that like i thought that was great and i honestly you know she chose at the end her brother's route and that saved everybody yeah and that saved even the atlanteans it saved people from dying anymore in a battle that didn't need to be waged and so i thought it was great i will say and i gotta give us props the only thing i think we were correct about in any of our predictions was that namor would live yeah and we were correct about that because we well for one i mean let's not completely we don't have to go too depth in depth about it because we already knew this going into the film but he's a mutant he's the first 
fully-fledged mutant who's, like, aware of what they are in the MCU. And so I was like, there's not a single way you're going to tell me they're going to kill Namor off. Yeah. Like, it's not going to happen. But I loved how that was handled, and I thought it was so well, like, well done. But I will say, you know, I even down to the fact that we see him talking to his first command. I don't know who she is. I don't even know her name. Namora or Namora. Okay, I, that's right. Because I was like, interesting. Is there like a connection here? And then I was like, I don't know. There, she's a comic figure. Like she exists in the comic, and they're family. I think. I think they're like cousins or something. Okay. I don't think they're like romantically involved though. But I also uh, yeah, I didn't think that. But I was like, I don't know if because they kind of shame. Well, I'm just saying in the comics. In the comics, I don't know that they are. But I also feel like I thought I read somewhere that he does marry his cousin at one point and it might have been Namora. So we'll get back to you in the blog on that one, but she does, like, she does exist in the comics. Okay. Hey, I just blinked on her name, but that's right, because the reason I blinked was because I totally forgot it was, like, pretty much Namor with an A. <laughs> but, you know, we even see him saying, like, they're gonna need us one day. Like, but he's aware of the fact she let him live and he did what was right for his people at the end, too. He knew that was what was going to be right because he just as much was taking revenge on the fact that, you know, he wanted to help his people, but sure, he stood in the way. The queen stood in the way. That was his revenge. So I think it was interesting because we saw that parallel in him, too. We saw what he was fighting and going through, and he, at the end, also chose the noble route to save his people and to just call the end to this war. Well, yeah, and I'm not going to lie to you. When he stabbed her with the spear, yeah, I literally jumped. I was like, I mean, logically, I know you're not going to kill this Black Panther, right? Like, obviously, didn't they didn't kill T'Challa because they wanted to kill T'Challa. We all know why that happened. Yeah. But knowing that, I was like, you're not going to kill her. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that, but I still was so horrified and she looked so confused. Like, this is not how this was supposed to go. I had a plan. You were never supposed to find a spear on the beach and stab me. This is not it, dude. Like, that was crazy. And then when she has the, I don't even know if you would call it physical strength, mental strength to chop it off and pull herself. Oh, I had to look away. Off that spear. I was like, don't you dare ever tell me Shuri of Wakanda is not a total baddie. Because, oh my god. Yeah, no, I had to look away during that. I don't do well with some of that. <laughs> Even when she was, like, scratching him with the nails, I was like, literally cannot watch this. I don't do well with that. Can we talk about the permanent damage she did to the wing? Yeah. I don't know if it's permanent. I don't know how he heals, but, like, she cut off his wing. I mean, I would assume it's pretty permanent. It's like when you chop off a finger, like, I don't really think you're probably gonna put it back. But he heals so well in the water, and he's a mutant. So, like, you can't really compare him to a human chopping off a finger because... Yeah, but I guess, like, healing is one thing, but, like, like okay, I'm gonna think of something really dumb here. But I'm thinking of, like, Percy Jackson, right? How he also heals in the water. But, like, he can heal, like scrapes and stuff and get strength from it but like i'm pretty sure if he lost like an appendage which is what we have to assume the wings really are he's not gonna like grow it back oh yeah he screamed in pain yeah so i guess like that's where my brain goes with that is i'm like i don't think he'd like grow it back i don't feel like that's a possibility i because like it's part of him yes but i don't think he's like growing back pieces of his body like he's not like root level all i want to say though to that is and we don't need to go any further into it than this is I just don't know, you know, he's only been in one movie, and now he, like, isn't at full strength anymore. Like, I just don't know that they're going to have weakened him this early on 
with a permanent... Who's to say he's not at full strength? The only thing he doesn't have is his one wing. To be fair, I mean, he still has everything else. You saw him try to fly with only the three out of the four, and he was having issues. Okay, but you can learn how to... I mean, how do people who lose limbs continue life? They learn how to live without it, right? So, like, he very much can adapt to having three out of four. It's not like she cut both of them off. She still has... Or he still has one. I I could see him learning to adapt or fix, finding a way to, like... Not necessarily fix it, but I mean, like... Get a little, like, bionic wing, you know? Just, like, attach it. That'll work well in the water. Um, if it's vibranium, it will. All right. Well, anyway, I guess <laughs> what we'll have to do is, you know, listeners, if you saw that scene where she comes and flies on the ship with him and they tell their people to stop fighting one another, they come on the airplane, and you see the full body shots of both of them, if you guys happen to notice, if he has all four of his wings, shoot us a tweet because otherwise we're going to continue to argue about this until we go see the movie again. I don't think he has all four, but I think... He will learn how to adapt with having three. He's a mutant. I'm saying in that scene, you can probably see because he's been in the water, clearly he's healed. You can probably see whether or not it grew back. Okay, okay, fair. I just don't remember after seeing that scene because I wasn't thinking about it because I was more thinking about how she healed from the spear, but she probably put in a bead and like, you know, it helped heal her. But anyway, I was just curious about like whether or not he was gonna come back. Yeah, no, I, I he definitely will. But before we get to the ending, because there's two things I want to talk about with the ending, for obvious reasons, let's talk to our, like, on-the-ground kind of people. So we obviously get our introduction to Riri. She played, like, a much bigger part than I think I anticipated, which loved. Absolutely loved. Loved her. I think she's freaking hilarious. I'm gonna Koya is like, you can fight him off with your heater. I just was like, oh my god. Like, I just the interactions were so good. Those two in a room together, I could watch for hours. Yeah. So good. I and I loved her. And I was really appreciative of the fact of how they brought her in. I thought it was extremely well done. Because, I mean, we talked a lot about that. We didn't really know how that was going to happen. And, you know, so it was interesting seeing her live this, like, college student life. And then it just gets completely upended because... She literally was pretty much dared by a professor to see if she could make something. And she was like, bet. And then they stole it and was using it for something that, not good, but U.S. government. We expected that. (laughs) Especially when we get to who, you know, is in charge of certain things. But yeah, I just, I loved her. The only thing that I, like, didn't love was her Ironheart suit just gave me Big Hero 6. And I just didn't love it. Like, it looked fine as far as, like, I'm not saying the CGI was crap or anything. I just... I don't know. Like I said, it gave me Big Hero 6, and I just wasn't vibing. Yeah, I think the general consensus I've seen online is that the design of the suit was not everyone's favorite. Yeah. Now, knowing that they're filming the show and the VFX have to be done after, it's entirely possible that knowing that the fans were not, for lack of better term, a fan of this particular design, they can always redesign it and rework it because I also thought it was just a little I don't know it was a little soft looking like it the edges were too soft it was and I think there's a way to do and I obviously I don't want it to look like Iron Man because she's not Iron Man she has a completely different identity but even if you look at Rescue for example Pepper's suit it's still effeminate but it it looks i don't know it just looks different i don't and and again i don't want her to look like a stark like it's she's not tony stark and i don't say that to diminish her but i want her to have her own identity i just think she deserves a really cool suit and this just wasn't it for me and i think they just need to 
work on the design and make some tweaks because she's awesome and I want her suit to be as awesome as she is and this one just didn't hit it. Yeah, for me, honestly, I'm I'm not going to even lie. I'm just going to continue to say it was Big Hero 6. Yeah. And that is all I got from it. So I, like, don't even have other words for it. I just... And I love that movie. But she is not an inflatable, like, squishy health guy. Like, <laughs> she's a human. And I was like, why does she look like that? And, like, even the mask. Like, down to the mask and everything. I was like, huh. This just, like, looks straight out of, like, a children's cartoon. Like, it just doesn't look... I don't know, especially considering she's a college student, it felt like it was lacking a maturity level. I don't know. It just didn't seem right. So I didn't love it. That's the only thing I like. I liked her. I thought she was awesome. I'm ex- it, it makes me even more excited for her show because I think while it's still going to be a sense of an origin, we, it, it was like once again bringing like Wanda and Pietro in from Age of Ultron. We got an introduction to them without having to like go down that full origin story route and it was how we used to do it back in the day in the mcu you know and i i really really do like that don't get me wrong i've loved the shows i've loved the origin story shows but i i really did enjoy having you know back to the og bringing somebody in in a film introducing them there and then they can go on their path you know from whatever so i loved her and i'm so ready for her show totally i am so excited to see her again you know, to your point, I didn't know what to expect bringing her in. I loved the way she interacted with everyone in Wakanda. I love the way she was, you know, really, she, at, let me put it this way. She added to the story. She wasn't just like the garnish they put on top to be like, oh, Riri Williams is in the movie. No, exactly. she was central to the plot. She was important and she contributed. And I think that was so important because so many times you bring in characters to do these little intros and they're like not really that important. You know, you know how I feel about Tom Spider-Man, but I think in some ways that's kind of what his intro was in Civil War. Right. It was, ooh, let me come in and hold the shield and then get knocked out and you're never going to see me again. Whereas in comparison, like T'Challa was more like Riri, central to the plot, important played a contribution and that's why it almost felt like his entry was more meaningful because we got a better look at the character and he actually played a role in a previous film versus just being called in by tony stark to like oh my god they have you know spider-man in the mcu again great we love tom but i think that could have been done better to be honest well and that's why i keep using the example of Wanda and pietro obviously we know pietro's fate in that film but i thought that was like same idea they played a very pivotal role in that film both as a villain and then when they switch sides and then you know it doesn't feel weird when wanda's brought in anywhere else because you're like okay yeah i got you like i met you already we're good like you don't feel awkward you were in this film i know what you do like and so now her storyline has continued very successfully from that point versus you know we one of our big complaints for a while with tom's spider-man was still being tied to Iron Man because that's how he was brought in. Yeah. So I think, to your point, exactly. You know, I think this is going to be a really great show now. I think I got my background on her. I like her as a character already. So I know moving forward, I'm going to enjoy what they give us. Totally. The other boot on the ground kind of idea is obviously we have Agent Ross, which we knew. But then we have his boss, Valentina. Uh, Not just his boss, his ex-freaking wife. Yeah. Hmm. And then I was like, wow. Actually, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't pick up on the ex-wife thing. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, she's also his ex-wife. Because when she when she was like, can you drive me back to Langley? And he's like, that's a four-hour drive. She's like, that's okay, I want to apologize for some of the things I said when we were married. My whole theater was like, 
Oh! Oh, see, I'm not gonna lie, there were, like, a couple lines throughout the film that I, like, just didn't know what they were saying. Oh. And it wasn't just, like, like, the Wakandan sometimes with, like, the accent or anything like that. I genuinely just was, like... I don't know what, like, someone just said. So I just was like, I hope it's not pivotal. And just, like, went, moved on. Because I'm very much a caption while watching things kind of person just because it allows me to truly focus on what someone's saying. So not having captions, suddenly I was like, why can't I, like, fully hear what's happening? Yeah, so I miss that. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. You know, when she showed up, I was like, crap, because I'm confused now. I've literally never been so concerned about something in my entire life. And it's not because I'm confused. It's because of the amount of power that that very corrupt woman has. Because mm-hmm. let's let's just take a step back. Let's talk about Valentina as a whole for a hot sec. Because I don't think you can talk about her role in this film, which really wasn't humongous. This was more of like a setting the stage and you could feel that. And we'll talk about where she's going to go from here, at least what we think. But let's let's think about where we've seen Valentina, where she's been, what we know about her, and collaborate there on kind of a, this is Valentina. So one, we know she's putting together the Thunderbolts. We saw her in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, getting U.S. agent. We saw her at the end of Black Widow, getting our good friend Yelena. We saw her, you know, getting a ton of people. For We now know the full lineup of the Thunderbolts. Or at least two we are confirmed are the full lineup. Oh, yes. Sorry. We, But we know, like, it's built out more than just the few characters we've seen her talk to. Okay, great. Theoretically, she also kind of... Isn't she connected to Kingpin? Or did we not... I believe so, but not MCU yet. We, in the comics, there's a relation, but we have had no confirmation in the MCU that there's a relation. Okay, cool. I For whatever reason, I think because it's been almost a year, I was kind of a little muddy on that from Hawkeye. But anyway, so we know she's got the Thunderbolts. And now we find out she's the director of the CIA, which... If you're, you know, anybody who's watched a DC movie in the last few years, which we don't necessarily make a habit of doing, but, you know, occasionally we'll catch one. Amanda Waller. She's essentially the Amanda Waller of the MCU. Works for the CIA, puts her little side crew together to do the uh, off-book missions. Yeah. And the Suicide Squad and the Thunderbolts are pretty much parallel, right? So she's the Amanda Waller of the MCU if you happen to be a DC fan, and that helps. Okay, so now we got that worked out. That's scary, because not only does she have the Thunderbolts that work for her, but also the power of the CIA. And then I'm sitting here thinking to myself, why does the CIA make, you know, why is this so important to me right now? Why am I thinking about this? And then I'm thinking about who else happened to be in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, a certain Carter woman who is now reinstated in the CIA and also happens to be the power broker. Yeah, so I had a lot going through my brain as well when Valentina showed up. One, gasp. But two, I just was like, okay, part of this made sense because I'm thinking of Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D., puts together the Avengers. I was like, I see the parallel. Yeah, I see where we're going. And I also really like that, you know, I had a running theory for months now that the Thunderbolts were essentially going to be our Avengers or a big version of our Avengers in these next few phases. So I'm really starting to see that parallel setting up, right? So I was like, okay, I like this. But to your point, I was like, you know, at least as far as the comics, we're not supposed to exactly love Valentina. Has she done anything technically yet in the MCU? No. Except for try to get Hawkeye killed. Well, yeah. Except that. (laughs) But I mean, other than that, which I like, you know, only two people really fully know what happened when they were on Vormir. So I kind of was like, I could see where like you could argue and why like it was a convincing thing for Elena. I could see that. Her being head of the CIA 
definitely makes a lot more sense to as to why people like Bucky would join the Thunderbolts because he sees that as a good side. Well, there's an air of legitimacy there, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think he would see that very similarly to Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. and all of that. Obviously, S.H.I.E.L.D. had Hydra going within it, and I'm almost wondering if we're going to have a version of Hydra growing within the CIA now. That is something for me. Well, yeah, you know, that makes total sense thinking about Sharon and her, you know, how corrupt she is and how she's basically using the resources of the CIA to further her own mission. So I think that totally makes sense, whether it's as organized and formulated and culty as Hydra within S.H.I.E.L.D. or whether it's more informal, hey, you want to make some money on the side? I totally see that. Where do I think this is going? Oh, this is all going to come to a head in New World Order, 100%, because who makes the most sense to handle these type of governmental issues? None other than Captain America. Yeah, my only thing is, is I'm not sure how hard that's going to hit in there. Just because the Thunderbolts comes out afterwards, I can see where one thing can lead to the other. But I I mean, we're still going to obviously get the Thunderbolts, which is going to be tied to Valentina. We already know this. So... I I don't know. Yeah, I still think, though, I think Sam's movie is going to help set up the Thunderbolts for sure. I think she's going to have a role. I don't think you're going to have a Captain America and a, and a CIA that has been shown to be corrupt in multiple ways. Now, we don't know if Valentina and Sharon are working together, so that's still TBD. But we know, at least as it relates to Valentina and as it relates to Sharon, there's some corruption going on, right? So... You know, I don't think that that's something that a Captain America movie is going to ignore. I agree. Because as we've seen with Steve as Cap, he goes, you know, he stands for righteousness. And, and even in Sam's, you know, brief time we've seen him so far, he stands for justice and the right thing and equality. And I just don't think that that's something that's not going to be at least a storyline that's going to be furthered as maybe a B or C plot within Sam's movie. Oh, I think it's going to be furthered. But what I'm actually fully convinced of is it's going to follow sort of the order of the first Captain America trilogy. Because I'm going to assume Sam's going to get his own. And I would not be surprised if it more so comes ahead in a second Cap film like it did in The Winter Soldier, where that's when Hydra fell. I would be pretty on board with thinking that way, that maybe there's some... You know, connection. Obviously, we know the leader is going to be, like, the main villain in that. So we, you know, maybe he's gotten in with the CIA because of Valentina or, you know, there's some dirty deals. The power broker. Who knows? Blood. That's all a connection. But I could see there being connections there. But I don't think anything is going to come to head until after the Thunderbolts, which would be another cat movie. I will say, like, I'm I'm a little sad because I'm getting really excited for, like, going back into the spying government realm. I've been kind of missing that with some of this, a lot of the space and magic. And I know we've been like aggressively being hinted at in phase four, but I, we're not there. And I just like, I want to get there. Like I, I'm missing that a little bit and I would like to get back into that realm. Yeah, no, totally. And I think, I think secret invasion is going to be huge for that. I'm really curious you know, now seeing who's the head of the CIA, how is that going to play in? How's that show going to further this as well? Because there's no way in my head that Nick Fury is going to be like, this is fine. Like, no, Nick knows everything. Even though he doesn't, you know, have all the resources he used to have, Nick is plugged in. And so I get that it's going to be, 
you know, the focus is really going to be the scrolls in that show. Of course, you know, we all kind of have a general idea of what Secret Invasion is in the comics. Yeah. But I don't think that that's something that's not going to be on Nick's radar. So, you know, I'll be curious. Are they collaborating? Because sometimes Nick, you know, works with some shady figures, some people who are in the gray zone. So... You know, are they going to collaborate? Are they going to be enemies? Is he, she going to be someone on his watch list? Like, I have so many questions for how the man, Nick Fury, is, like, handling this situation. Does he have eyes on Sharon Carter? Is he tracking that? Like, to your point, like, he used to be the guy with all the answers because he was the spy. Well, last we know, he's off-world, though. Yeah. So I'm going to just put an end to that because all we know for right now is that he's off-world. So we don't know. But before we get into too far of a trail with that, let's pivot back to Black Panther, because obviously we had to talk about that little tangent, but let's pivot back to Black Panther to finish it out. Two things that I still want to bring up, one being you talked about M'Baku becoming king, Shuri being Black Panther. I love this. One, you know, I even wrote in the blog, Shuri was never meant to be queen. Yeah. She is the Prince Harry of her family. She was never meant to take the throne. She was to quote his memoir title, The Spare. <laughs> because, you know, that's just how royal families work. It was never meant to fall on her. Obviously, she didn't want it when her, her brother died and, and her mother took the queen title. Part of that might be age. I don't fully remember. Which, I want to bring this up earlier. Was Shuri snapped? Yes, because... She comes out of the she comes out of the circle with T'Challa. Yeah, but they brought everybody out through the circles. Because even people who weren't snapped came out through the circles. Like who? Well, everybody. That's how everybody got to the battlefield. Yeah, but I guess my thing is like Pepper wasn't snapped. She. That's how she got there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess I just assumed that if they came out with a snapped person, that they were all snapped. No, and the entire Wakandan army was not snapped half of it was and the whole army showed up you know i should have put more thought into that i don't know so i i don't know yeah well either way either way either way that's why i don't know if shuri was actually snapped so age-wise i'm a little confused on where she is age-wise but either way her mom you know obviously took up the queen mantle shuri was in a different place in life and you know i think it's really fitting that she doesn't feel like she can be queen but she can be the warrior she needs to be. But I also, because I know we've all had to focus, and I, I had no problem, obviously, focusing so much on Shuri, I want to take this into M- M'Baku, because first off, love him. Second, he is just as much, you know, a born king. I mean, he is ruler of the Jabari... Is it Jabari? Jabari, yeah. I don't know why. I, like, rolled off my tongue weird for a second there. Jabari tribe, like, he challenged T'Challa, like, he was trying to become king. So I very much, like, I appreciate that. I appreciate that she accepted that he was a better ruler than she would get, she was going to be. She was never prepped to be a ruler. He was. He had the possibility of taking that throne at any point. So I had mad respect for that, and I like the relationship. I like that he sat there and he was like, I promised your brother I was going to be here and be your counsel and I was going to help you. I made that that sworn oath and I'm going to do that. And so, you know, I'm excited to see the relationship between the two of them. I'm excited to see how, you know, Wakanda's protector and their king, you know, interact. But then that brings up the wrinkle you kind of brought up earlier, because now we have somebody who is bloodwise in line for the throne under the old king T'Challa. So 
now I feel like things have, and obviously we have some years to think about this, but now we have some complications. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to go, I guess my understanding of how succession happens, and this is based off the British monarchy, so Wakanda may do it differently because we know they also have a challenge system, so obviously different. But any, so obviously we know Elizabeth, then it goes to Charles and his family. So like, it would be like if Anne and her kids were like involved in like the actual discussion for the throne. But say, for example, Anne's daughter is sitting on the throne, right? That's kind of, we'll just say that's the equivalent of M'Baku right now. It doesn't work perfectly, but that's what I'm going to say. We'll go with it. Like they were like the different tribes. So we'll go with it. Yeah. Anyone essentially in Charles's line is going to naturally have a better... Ranking almost? Yeah, a better claim to the throne than someone from Anne. So like, for example, as Charles had children, Anne just kept going down the list. Well, she was already down the list because she's a woman and that sucks. But like, in this case, we'll just say they go in birth order. They don't, but whatever. She was number two, right? So... As William was born, she became three. As Harry was born, she became four. Yeah. Now, as William, as the next in line, as he has kids, you know, when George was born, she goes down. Then Charlotte, she goes down again. So essentially, that line, that, you know, primary line is the first one. So because T'Challa is a direct descendant of King T'Challa, he has the best claim to the throne. He would still technically have to in my understanding of Wakandan politics, have to challenge M'Baku or Shuri, who's ever on the throne, unless they give it to him in a passing the way that... I would assume they have to give it to him. Because as you were kind of going through this, I thought about Killmonger. And he is... He just as much could have been... And like that genuinely, I think, goes a little bit more in line with the royal family idea. Because he was like the cousin. I mean, there were two sons... And then they both had sons, and obviously one was directly in line for the throne. One, you know, just as much had the right to the throne if they so wanted it. But he still had to challenge, right? To, to Yeah, Killmonger did. Yeah, because it goes naturally to from T'Chaka to T'Challa, father to son, but then he has a right to challenge. Yeah, but I also think they're te- but they were technically the full royal blood versus, you know, um, M'Baku is part of the Jabari tribe, but he, his tribe isn't the one sitting on the throne, technically. Yeah. So I would think, you know, when T'Challa II shows up and, you know, comes back to Wakanda and is being, like, in preparation to become the king, I would assume, and also because of M'Baku's just turn from where he was, obviously, in the first movie, and, and or the first half of the first film, I should say, and who he's become, I don't think for a second he wouldn't step down when the second T'Challa becomes of age. And also his respect for his father. I mean, he made a dying oath to the man. He's not going to be like, I made a dying oath to protect your sister, but I'm going to fight your son to the death. Like, that's just not going to happen. Right. And I also think, you know, he's doing it for Shuri because Shuri did not want to take the throne. You know, and I think in a heartbeat, Shuri also would have given up the throne to a young, to the younger T'Challa when it was time. She didn't want to sit there. So she almost did what I thought the queen did when, you know, she maybe, which we don't even need to get into where that random male Black Panther is. I don't even want to talk about it. I don't know what that was. Apparently, just to clear things up super fast, 
it was a CGI thing because they later fixed the trailer and put the embellishments on that you talked about earlier in that Black Panther. So they they heard about the rumors going around that there were two and they fixed the trailer to put the embellishments on so it was more clearly Shuri the whole time. Oh. Yeah, because I was like, that was a whole thing. But we had that theory that the queen, who obviously wasn't going to be a Black Panther, obviously there also wasn't an herb, so I didn't even think about that at the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of just have somebody be the the protector so almost like that flip instead of her being shuri being the queen she kind of was like okay you take the throne you're gonna be better at this i'll be the black panther i'll be better at this and i don't for a second think baku when the time is right won't step down but i also just want to bring up that end credit scene we've talked about it t'challa had a son that was a rumor going around when they were talking a lot about like the black panther succession and all that that was a huge rumor going around then it quieted down. So I know we didn't even talk about it in the predictions because... Yeah, I totally forgot it was a thing. Well, because it disappeared. Yeah. It just, like, no one was talking about it suddenly. Uh, so I wasn't entirely shocked when it happened. What got me was that they named him T'Challa because I was like, oh my god, like, here's the thing. Didn't realize it until I was laying in bed two hours later that I was like, oh my god, they just solved the T'Challa problem by just naming him T'Challa. No, literally, no, I, well, I pretty much put that together right away. Well, I just kind of was, like, emotional about it. Like, I was like, oh. Yeah, well, when she, when Nakia comes up to her and she says, can we join you? I was like, because I knew she was a teacher. So I was like, why did she bring, like, a random student? Oh, I knew immediately. Well, no, when, this happened within a space of a millisecond. So I was like, why did she have a, bring a random student? And then I was the only person who out loud goes, oh my god, it's his son! And then she was like, and then I was that person. I'm so sorry, guys. I just... Was yeah, I'm really glad I didn't see the theater or the movie with her. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I was like, I was just like so emotionally raw that like there was no filter at that point. But anyway, and then she, you know, explains and then she talks about how they kind of had a relationship. So here's how I think this all played out. I think she was pregnant when Infinity War happened, probably early on. Or already had him. Since we don't have full that gap is a little awkward. Yeah. So I think she was pregnant. I think he was, T'Challa was snapped. He comes back to find he has a four-year-old son, four and change. Obviously, he doesn't want, you know, she's already fled to Haiti. And he doesn't want to uproot him. He doesn't want to force him into that life. He doesn't want, as she says, the pressure. So she raises him in Haiti. And then, you know, T'Challa comes to visit. Then he gets sick. She talks about how he talked them through his death. They were able to mourn him, all of that good stuff. Good but sad. So that's how I think that worked out. And then if you think about the timeline, then it would make sense for him to be, you know, seven or eight. If you think about T'Challa perhaps being back on the throne for a year or two before his passing because kids about four and end game gave him two more years for T'Challa to be on the throne he's six this is a year now you're hitting seven so that's how that works out for me in my own headcanon timeline wise wish we I mean for obvious reasons I know why we can't wish we could have gotten a little more information on those two years that T'Challa was king post blip but I think that's just going to be a dark period that other than a few lines here and there we're never going to get to know about but Kid T'Challa is going to be the new T'Challa, and he just has to accelerate that grow-up because he has to take care of adult things that, like, T'Challa in the comics is an adult when he handles, and he's now seven, so we just need to wait a little bit. But other than that, I mean, to your point, it solves the problem. Yeah, I mean, I just laughed when it, like, it dawned on me. Like I, like I said, it took me two hours to fully put that thought together that I was like, oh my god. They just, like, completely solved that problem just by naming him T'Challa. Like, I was like, wow. 
like mind blown tweeted from our account and everything because I was like whoa (laughs) I know I'm not gonna lie though when he said the line my name is T'Challa son of King T'Challa I like actually lost it and I was like no see for me what got me the fine like the actual thing that had me tear up was right before that which is why I didn't really put together other than him being named him like I didn't think about the larger ramifications was when Shuri was finally burning the the shroud and she, you know, that that was the symbolism, which I thought was beautiful. Yeah. I thought, you know, opening it with his his death and then funeral and, and ending it with her being able to stop and end the grieving period. I was like, wow, that was really powerful. But when she burned it, was burning it and they were showing clips of him. Playing the Rihanna song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is what was getting it for me. That's when I slightly was starting to tear up just because I was like, wow, like this is really like setting in. And they kept flashing back to Shuri, like finally letting herself like deal with it. And I just was like, wow. So I think that was partially why I didn't even like the the name thing didn't even fully connect for me because I was just like, okay, I'm already like sad. But that excites me moving forward. I know I mentioned my complaint was this end credit scene. Let me explain. I just felt like we could have just tacked it to the end of the movie um, because it was literally the same thing and then had something that was like a genuine end credit scene. I know this has been my complaint for the past few films. I mean, MOM sort of, I mean, the second one was a joke, but at least the, the like first one did something for me. If this maybe would have had a second one, I wouldn't feel this way, but I was really disappointed because I was like, this is it? Like, we're not getting anything that, like, this kid's going to take years to grow up in MCU style. They're going to have to figure something out if they want to accelerate him. Fine. But I was like, we, this could have ended the film. Like, I just don't really feel like this was worth an end credit scene. And now I feel like, wow, we didn't get anything. And that comes from the, from phases one through three that set a different standard. And I'm just not willing to accept what phase four is doing with end credit scenes. Yeah. I think that's, you know, let me put it this way. As an overall phase four criticism, I'm totally aligned. Yeah. When it comes to this film, I'm not as upset about it because the reasoning that Marvel gave was it does not make sense to end this film as emotional as it is and then be like, by the way, here's an end credit scene from something completely unrelated and not emotional at all because that's emotional whiplash. So I get that argument. So I'm not like, yes, I would have loved like a secret invasion hint because I think you and I are like laser focused on that, but I'm not as upset because I understand from an emotional standpoint why it needed to be focused on the grieving process around Chad and like all of that. And I was like, all right, for like emotionally, I'm okay with this. Yeah. Like I, and I fully, I do understand that. I guess I just like, I don't know. Even then, like I said, if you would have just had that second one after all the credits, giving me my time to kind of just like chill from what I watched and like, it didn't need to be like, a funny thing at all like you know sometimes they have like the most like whatever but they lead to other things like it didn't need to be anything funny it could have just been like a small little like clip of I I don't know I just I was a little disappointed just because and understandably like I said I get the emotion thing I get the whiplash I just kind of was like I wish we would have gotten something because now I feel like you know we have the guardian special but besides that, like, we're going into Ant-Man kind of blind. Like, I don't love that. And I don't, and I've been very passionate and I've been very adamant about t- saying how much I haven't loved the end credit scenes. I mean, I think Black Widow had one of the best. But even then, like, it because it actually showed projects that were, like, months down the road and we got a good hint and it was, like, a shock factor and, like, 
I loved that. And then I feel like a lot of the films since have kind of been like, mm, at least it, I don't know. At least if they've dealt with the movie, like it was something more. Like, honestly, that Namor scene when he was talking to Namora, I could have seen that as the end credit scene. Well, yeah, because it leads to something else. I will say, uh, just an example, I think, of one that has done well that hasn't paid off yet, but will, is Shang-Chi. Mm-hmm. Because you see what's left of the Avengers, and that's obviously going to pay off when we, whenever we next see them team up. You know, they're clearly recruiting. What does that look like? So I think that was one of the better ones. That's we fair. don't know how well that's going to pay off because we haven't seen it yet. But I think, too, like, if you're talking about, like, in terms of, like, longevity and, like, how far out the project is that it's hinting to or setting up, I think that's, you know, a good example as well. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's a great one. But there's been quite a few in between that I don't feel like have really performed as well. Even the ones in the show. Yeah. I haven't, like... Some of the shows have, I feel like, made almost jokes out of what the end credit scenes used to stand for. And I don't know if it's because of the shows that it feels like it's translating weird um, now into the movies. But, like, I'd rather have no end credit scenes in the shows and continue to have them the way that we used to than have, like, even She-Hulk. I mean, how many end credit scenes did it have? And I was like, we literally, like, didn't need these. Yeah. And, like, they made something out of something I didn't feel had to happen. So, I don't know. I've been a, an active criticism of that, or an active critic, full of criticism about it. This one was another one where I kind of just was like, just tack it on to the end of the movie. You might as well. Like, it was right there. But yeah, you know, that was it. That was my small criticism. But for what it gave, I absolutely still loved it. And I thought it was great. And I thought Black Panther was great. And yeah, so I'm just going to accept it. Go watch the film again, because I feel like there's so many things that I need to see again. And I hope you guys liked it. Yeah. Well, just my last piece, I'm just going to say I honestly think this might be the best MCU movie full stop in terms of just visual storytelling, actual ties to the first film and connecting that. I thought it was great. And then all the challenges it had to deal with. I loved this film. That's all you really need to know. Hopefully you did too. If you did, go see it again. Go support it. It's been great. And if you liked this episode and are looking forward to... All of the things coming down the pike in 2023, I hate that we're that close to that I have to say that. You should subscribe to the show because then you'll get notifications, depending on your player, for whenever we have a new episode so you can always keep track of us. You can check out our blog as well. We have lots of supplemental stuff. Things that we can't remember during the episode, they get added to the blog after Katie has a chance to look them up. You can also look at our merch store, which is linked below as well, where we have all kinds of fun stuff. You can support the show and also... Maybe wear a cool bucket hat while you're at it. Also, make sure you guys are following us on Twitter at Let's Talk MFT. All our shows and blog posts and everything else go up on there. Our thoughts on the movies as they come out. All sorts of stuff is happening on Twitter. So definitely give us a follow on there. Um, as far as looking ahead, like I mentioned, we really only have the Guardians to cover as far as content from Marvel. But we will have an episode coming out. We'll be going back to our two weeks for right now talking about phase four so keep an eye out for that that will be coming out in a few weeks but make sure you guys are keeping up with our content and for right now we're going on a a little weird like hiatus almost from the mcu content but continue to keep up with everything catch up if you haven't been able to because marvel just blew your mind so let's talk about it